0: Hello everyone, welcome to this week's 10 Minute Recap where of course we go over all the reading that we were assigned to read this week so that we can read through the entire Bible this year. Now, this week's reading was 1 Kings 8 through to 2 Kings 8, so let's just jump in. In 1 Kings 8, King Solomon completes the temple in Jerusalem by bringing the Ark into the temple and then holding a dedication ceremony with an assembly of Israel and at the pinnacle of the dedication a miraculous cloud representing the presence of God as it had done in the tent tabernacle. This cloud fills the temple and they offer sacrifices of dedication to God. Then in 1 Kings 9, God appears to Solomon just like he did at the high place at Gibeon where the tent tabernacle had been set up back at the beginning of Solomon's reign. So the fact that God's presence has appeared at the temple about seven years later, and now God is appearing to Solomon in a dream after a day of dedication and sacrifice, this is driving home the point that God is now in Jerusalem in a special way. So his presence has been made available in a special way. And God actually verifies this in what he says to Solomon, essentially that he will be in Jerusalem in a special way and that if Solomon is faithful to God, then God will establish the throne forever, his throne, his family's throne. But if not, then Solomon's descendants will be cut off from the throne, and the temple will be destroyed, which, unfortunately, spoiler alert here, is what ultimately happens. We're told in the rest of the chapter some unwise actions of Solomon, how he gave poor compensation to his ally Hiram king of Tyre in the form of bad land, and how he taxed labor from the people of Israel to accomplish his building projects. And this is actually going to end up splitting the kingdom of Israel in two because Solomon worked the people so hard. And we're told that despite his slight to Hiram king of Tyre, uh, Hiram is Solomon's business partner in a fleet of trade ships. Now, in 1 Kings 10, we get the famous visit of the Queen of Sheba, who has come to see if Solomon lives up to all the hype, and we might assume here that she's also come to do some sort of long-term trade deal with Israel, because we do see them trading before she returns to Sheba. Solomon's wealth is detailed in this chapter, and we get a description of his very decadent ivory and gold throne, complete with multiple statues of lions. We also learn that Solomon has built a considerable chariot and horse industry in Israel. Now in chapter 11, we learn that Solomon had been multiplying wives. A lot. As in a ton of wives. We're told that he had 700 wives of royal birth. Now this indicates that these were political wives, so they were married to solidify a treaty or pact with a foreign nation or tribe. He also had 300 concubines, so likely other treaty wives from lesser families. They weren't of royal blood. Now, the problem with this was apparent to anyone in the ancient world. The king was required to treat his treaty wife with the honor and respect due to the treaty country, which meant, among other things, allowing her to worship her gods. In fact, Solomon facilitated it. He built temples, altars, and high places for these foreign gods, and he even went one step Further, he sacrificed to these false gods himself. So rather than require nations in partnership with him to ally themselves with the God of Israel, Solomon allied the people of God with the gods of other nations. It was a deadly mistake. Solomon's chastised by God and told that now the kingdom will be torn away from his family. The kingdom will be split and David and Solomon's line will get the lesser portion of Israel. God then raised up three adversaries to plague Solomon for the rest of his reign. Hadad of Edom, Rezin of Zobam, and most seriously of all, Jeroboam, son of Nebat, who worked for Solomon. God sent a prophet to Jeroboam to tell him that he would be the first king of northern Israel over 10 of the Israelite tribes. So God incited rebellion against Solomon. And when Solomon tried to kill Jeroboam, clearly no longer accepting the word of God as truth, Jeroboam then flees to Egypt, but he'll be back. Now, sadly, chapter 11 records Solomon's death as a successful but disgraced king. First Kings 12 tells us about Solomon's son, Rehoboam, who's adopted all of Solomon's later foolishness. He rejects the people's request to lighten their taxed labor. So they reject him as king and 10 of the tribes back, surprise, surprise, Jeroboam, son of Nebat, as the new king, just like God had said through Ahijah the prophet. Now when Rehoboam tries to gain the tribes back through military force, another prophet of God tells him to stop, which you know, to his credit, he does. Now, if you had any hope of Jeroboam being better, it's quickly dashed. Rather than following God like David did, which would have established Jeroboam's dynasty forever, according to Ahijah the prophet, Jeroboam replaces true worship of God with two cult centers in Israel, Bethel and Dan, where he sets up alternate temples complete with golden calf idols. 1 Kings 13 records how God sent a man of God from Judah into Israel to prophesy against Bethel. Now, it's a really interesting showdown between the prophet and King Jeroboam, but it ends really badly with the prophet of God ignoring God's word, then being mauled by a lion and becoming a symbol of what would eventually happen to northern Israel because of its apostasy. In 1 Kings 14, Ahijah the prophet gives a word of God against the house or the dynasty of Jeroboam. So his son is going to die and Jeroboam's line will not reign as kings of Israel anymore. We're told that uh, back in Jerusalem, King Jeroboam continued in his father Solomon's apostasy by building pagan shrines and ushering in pagan practices. Judgment comes in the form of Pharaoh Shishak of Egypt. He invades and takes all of Solomon's great wealth. In 1 Kings 15, Rehoboam's son Abijah becomes king of Jerusalem for three years, and then his son Asa becomes king, and he actually rules really well for 41 years, following God, expelling male shrine prostitutes, getting rid of idols, and even demoting his grandmother from her official position in the government because of idolatry. Now, in Israel, Nadab, son of Jeroboam, was king for two years before he was murdered along with the entire royal family in a coup led by Basha, who then ruled Israel for 24 years. First King 16 tells us that Basha wasn't any better than Jeroboam, and there's a prophecy against his house as well. So when Basha's son Elah became king, he was only king for two years before being assassinated by his own military commander, Zimri. But Zimri is then only king for seven days because the Israelite people back a different military commander Omri. And Zimri sees the writing on the wall. He ends it all by burning the palace down around himself. Omri then rules as king for 12 years, building a new palace and a new capital city, Samaria. Omri's son Ahab then becomes king and reigns for 22 years, marrying Jezebel and becoming one of the most infamous couples of the Bible. They were sold out to Baal worship, and they were pitted against the prophets Elijah and Elisha. First Kings 17 lets us into the world of the prophet Elijah, who calls a drought into existence, is miraculously fed by ravens, is saved by a Gentile woman, whom God then saves both from starvation and from the loss of her son by having Elijah raise him from the dead. 1 Kings 18 sees Elijah go to Ahab three years into the drought. And there's this famous con- contest between the Baal prophets and Elijah on Mount Carmel, where fire from God completely consumes a soaking wet sacrifice and altar. Elijah that executes 450 of the Baal prophets and the drought in Israel is ended when he fervently prays. First Kings 19 tells us that Elijah was a marked man pursued by Queen Jezebel who wanted to kill him for his killing of the Baal prophets. Elijah runs away, travels to Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai, and God appears to him, giving him a last mission to anoint the people who will bring down the dynasty of Ahab and Jezebel. In 1 Kings 20, God graciously proves himself to King Ahab when Ahab is faced with an impossible situation. He's going to be attacked by Benadad, king of Aram, and God delivers Ahab. But Ahab still chooses to ignore God's instructions, and he's condemned by a prophet of God. 1 Kings 21 continues Ahab's complicated relationship with God. So first, the account of Ahab and Jezebel killing a man for his vineyard, Naboth and his vineyard, it's recorded. It shows that they had no respect for God's gift of land to the families of Israel. And then when Elijah confronts Ahab, he surprisingly repents and mourns, prompting God to delay judgment on Ahab's dynasty. 1 Kings 22 records that the godly king of Judah, Jehoshaphat, has made an alliance with Ahab and they go to war as allies. And though Ahab disguised himself so that he wouldn't be a target, Ahab dies in battle. His son Ahaziah becomes king of Israel for two years. And no surprise, he's evil. The narrative continues on into 2 Kings. In chapter 1, we learn that Ahaziah, king of Israel, falls through an upper floor in his palace and dies of his injuries after a interesting drama with the prophet Elijah. Chapter two records Elijah being taken up into heaven and his ministry being passed on to Elisha. Elisha's miracles are recorded to prove this connection. First Kings, uh, Second Kings three records that Joram, son of Ahab, took the throne after his brother Ahaziah's death and he wasn't as bad as Ahab. He gets King Jehoshaphat of Judah to help deal with the rebellion of the Moabites and the prophet Elisha sticks his nose in there. And Israel, while having success against Moab, they still aren't able to finish the job. Second Kings 4 records Elisha helping the widow of a prophet. God multiplies her oil and she's able to sell it and get out of debt, essentially saving her son from debt slavery. Elisha also raises a boy from the dead, heals food poisoning, and multiplies loaves of bread to feed a hundred men. Chapter five records how a pagan military commander comes to Elisha to be healed of leprosy, and he converts when he's healed. Second Kings six records more adventures of Elisha, and they're pretty extraordinary. He makes an ax head float, advises the king in a time of war of all the places the enemy is camping, and we see the army of heaven fighting against the enemy army. Elisha leads blinded enemies into Samaria, and unfortunately, Samaria is besieged here. But chapter seven records Elisha's prophecy that the siege will be lifted the next day, and it's discovered the next day that the enemy army had fled. Finally for today, 2 Kings chapter eight sees Elisha prophesying to the Aramean commander Hazael. He knows that Hazael will murder the king, take the power, and become a fierce enemy to Israel. In Judah and Jerusalem, Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, becomes king. He was married to Ahab and Jezebel's daughter, and it shows he did a lot of evil. He reigned for eight years before their son, Ahaziah, becomes king. He only reigns for a year, but again, he's evil, enacting policies directed against God and against God's ways. That's it for today, guys. So if you have any comments or questions about the reading this week, please pop it down in the comment section below and I'll get back to you. I hope you have a really great week of reading and I'll see you next week.